Madam Speaker, Mr. Vice President, First Lady of the United States, indicted co-conspirators, horse-faced porn stars. I paid 130 grand to pretend they didn't sleep with me. The State of the Union is, you know, uh, Trump report starts now. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Oh, that's right. Uh, we uh, told you that uh, you'd be able to catch us right after the State of the Union, but uh, we've now uh, entered uh, day two of the State of the Union. <laughs> Once again, barring the title America Held Hostage. <laughs> uh, welcome to the Trump Report. I'm Christian Blatt, and uh, joins us by Chelsea Galicia. Hello there. And uh, a wonderful, joyous occasion because it's uh, it's an opportunity to visit with our friend Drexel. Hello, Drexel, Hello, thanks for everybody. joining us. Thanks for having me back. Great to see you as always. Um, so we don't quite know how the uh, State of the Union ends. You know, uh, it's kind of like lost. You know, you're not really sure what happened, but you know that nobody's happy with it. Um, for what you saw, let's, you know what, let's try and be, I don't know, glass half full, silver lining. What what did you see as as a plus for the evening? If you don't want to give the credit to the mm. president, you give the credit to someone else. What did you see that's positive? You have uh, uh, copious notes there. I do. And you're like struggling. Practically a tr like taking a transcription of the whole thing as it was going down. Mm -hmm. um, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll be the you know token woman on the panel and bravo to the... Which is why you're here, because it's, a, it's yeah, tokenism. Thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that was a fun... If, there, if that could be a real word used uh, to describe any part of the State of the Union, mm -hmm. when Democrats were up and uh, plotting and Trump said, don't sit down yet, you'll like this next one, and talked about how, uh, was that when he talked was the, about uh, most women, more women serving in yeah. Congress than ever before? Right after he talked about that the economic resurgence has benefited women because 58% of the new jobs created in this in his economy, he believes, went to women. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what he said was like, girls, stay on your feet. This is you're going to like this. This is a good one. Um, yeah, but uh, I mean, it's it is a valid point. Maybe he didn't make it uh, articulately. I did like the same. Whoever wrote the speech noticed like, wait a minute, women have been allowed to vote 100 years now. I got something I can say about that. What do you think about the that point being made in the State of the Union, Drexel? Not maybe maybe not the way that the president mentioned it, but uh Oh, I mean, listen, we already know who wrote the speech, and Stephen Miller, of course, being the architect of the president's speech. For Wait, the are you years. sure the, the uh, panel on Fox and Friends didn't write this speech? <laughs> they helped. I'm pretty they sure that they outlined the topics and in the order. I think if you had watched Fox and Friends today, and I think that's a three-hour show, it would make sense because the way that as it went on, he just continued to throw in another topic right. and another topic. And you're like, where did that even come from? But anyway. Yeah, I think what worked for the president in his in, in in the situation that he was in with that particular house and the way that the democratic women of the house were very unified um not only in when they clapped and you know mother nancy was up there making sure that everybody was on the up and up um it, it worked out for him that he used them he was able to use that part of his speech uh, to kind of get them off their feet because it was they... like a white wall of, of Democratic women out there. And I think that allowing them to um, uh, be a part of that actually worked 
to his yeah. advantage in that particular but, and, section. And then obviously he got making the USA? The, yeah, if he got the USA chair. But the president yeah. just finished right now. Oh. He's done now. Wow. So, so that was the uh, 45 minutes that were scheduled. It's like an hour 20. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we commented a lot during the, the broadcast while we were watching it. Nancy Pelosi kept shuffling through the papers. I think sometimes it was just like, how much more of this is there? Mm. And I, I don't know. I mean, what's the what's the decorum on like you sign that you hand it to her? Can something different be loaded in the teleprompter? Because was there more? I know. Did they forget to, to give some pages? Like, are, mm. You know, we were uh, a friend here from AfterBuzz, uh, Tehran, was talking to us. He was watching it over our shoulders, and he was like, "I'm pretty sure he's got the pages out of order." And it felt like that, by the way. Right. That, uh, but uh, I don't know. What's uh, can can you uh, you know give Pelosi the speaker? Can you give the speaker like a rough draft? And then you're like, "Yeah, but the real speech is uh, is still uh, top secret." Well, the president always hands the vice president president and the speaker the draft of right. the speech um, i've never seen them I've look at never it before seen them look at it before yeah. and it seemed that nancy uh that the speaker pelosi was definitely trying to figure out where this was going because donald trump is known for going off script um and it's very possible she was watching the prompter and trying to figure out how to follow what was coming up but at the same time he still like by the time that we came in here he was still five pages deep yeah. he still had five pages left and uh so from what we saw with Nancy kind of shuffling the pages. Um, but I, I think that's p- pretty much what happened. Because if you followed this speech, there were some things that was just a lot of ramble uh, and a lot of anecdotes. And uh, that was unfortunate. And, and and I was texting with some people um, during the speech. And I said, you know, it kind of felt like a third year address. Like there was no new policy initiative that normal presidents use during their second year. Um, and he spent a lot of time not kind of glossing over the initiatives that he should have expanded on uh, and and then spent a lot of time on immigration as if it was a topic that was going that that it was a topic that he knew wouldn't move at all right but he spent way he spent almost like 20 minutes just talking about the same things that he's been talking about for the last uh, few weeks instead of trying to figure out that's his how better to, right instead of trying to figure out how best to uh, move the needle with Democrats as the House majority. You know, I got the impression that uh, he at you know before we we were really into it. I got the impression that he was like legitimately focused on the schedule and the time because he, you know he walked in and I think it was like six oh three and look presidents of both parties sometimes you saunter in 12 after you take your time sometimes there's a lot more you know hands to shake and all that and i'm like oh man he's getting right down to business but uh, yeah it was uh an hour 25 or uh it, whatever it was exactly the uh other thing that surprised me and i don't know i, I wasn't here with you at the beginning uh i was i was listening on the radio like an old person while i was in the car but the you always wait for the speaker to introduce you and he just started talking. Now, I don't know if that's a conscious effort, because uh, obviously it could just be him not realizing that he was supposed to do that. But it could also have been a little bit of the, you know, the gamesmanship back and forth with Pelosi. And it seems like a minor thing, but she seemed legitimately surprised by it. Chelsea, do you think that uh, he consciously was like, Mm-mm, I'm not letting her talk? I, 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 I actually have no idea. I could have forgotten. He's per- yeah, I, I really I, I Drexel commented it to me that that's how, you know, yeah. decorum usually is. It didn't really, um, I don't know, surprise me. I, I, I didn't remember that. I 
strangely enough, wanted to hear just like what was in this speech, knowing that the conclusion of the speech, which I, he said it in the middle of the speech about the union being strong. Yeah. And I was really listening for how he was going to measure that. And I guess it's um, maybe unfair of me to expect that he was going to use some kind of objective measure to measure that, because I'm not sure if any president in my lifetime has used a an objective measure to really how do we tell if the union is strong? And to me, it seems that because he believes the economy is doing well, that the state of our union is strong. But when you look down on a personal level, how is the economy, the personal finance of most Americans going? It is not good. What is good, you could say, is the GDP. And he kept talking about how we're the hottest economy in the world. We are the envy of the world. Um, and so if that's how we measure the state of the union, what other people think in the world about our economy, and that's what makes us strong. I want a new measure. Uh, I, I, is anybody with me? I hope the Democratic platform includes a new measure of the state of our union is strong because this measure is not working for me. Yeah, I think he, you know, he talked about the big, the, the bills that were passed within the last year that he felt. Um, have made an impact, the opioid <clears throat> focus on the opioid crisis, the farm bill, the VA reform bill, and the VA accountability. Like, those are the things that he kind of—and then criminal justice reform, of course. So, But, but it's interesting to hear the president's rhetoric about how—about where we are as a nation outside of the prompter. Uh, and clearly, he doesn't believe that the State of the Union is strong if he is pushing policies where he believes that— um, are keeping our nation from being strong, uh, especially on and the topics of immigration. So I, I thought it was a little weird. I was just reading, uh, not surprising. Like you should said like the state of the union is almost kind of sort of right. strong, especially with the theme of choosing greatness. So I think he could have like stuck with that great theme that he you know that make America great again. But know, the theme was choosing greatness. Um, but not surprisingly, I was Megan Kelly tweeted nice finish, solid speech, not a game changer. But these things never are. Trump wins just by being up there looking presidential. And if that is not a sign that this speech was terrible, um, then then you know that's the measure right there. Because if somebody says, well, he just got up there and looked presidential because he could read off a teleprompter, that is what Republicans and pundits on TV have said every time Donald Trump has got up there and given a speech where he is able to read. Like, it's crazy because he didn't say anything. The, the, the entire hour and a half, he didn't say anything that was new and bold. Except and he, that he's and got he a hot used, date with Kim Jong-un. Right, and he used other people, whether or not it was Buzz Aldrin, whether or yeah. not it was those people, to fill this time where he could have spent trying to talk to Democrats about policies that work for them. I don't. He spent zero time on infrastructure, the, the one area where Democrats probably could have come to the table with him <laughs> and said, this is what we want. He literally skipped over infrastructure. That was my observation as I was driving over, is that he started off with uh, you know, sort of talking about crowd pleasers. He was talking about veterans from world war ii he's talking about buzz aldrin who's not going to clap for buzz aldrin you know right. and then later uh towards the end of the speech as we were getting set up he was speaking about uh holocaust survivors in relation to the uh, synagogue shooting in pittsburgh so uh you know there was the this is the nice moment with a young girl who survived cancer so yeah and look every president calls to people like that but uh, there were definitely there's definitely some uh, some crowd pleasers in there. There was also some things that were specifically put in there for the base, which we'll talk about. Oh, I yes. did notice that uh, Nancy Pelosi 
you know, and look, the opposition has plenty of opportunities to not stand up. But what I did notice, there were times where she would clap but not stand up. And I was thinking, I think I even said this to you guys, is that if you were playing a drinking game where you did a shot every time Pelosi stood up, you would not be drunk and you'd be able to drive home. There would be no problems because she stood up so rarely. Uh, and when she did, it was like, oh, I got to I got to I got to stand up for the Holocaust survivors. That, of course, that's because it's like, yes, that sounds good. But there's a whole lot of butts behind it that I can't explain right now. So I'm just going to give you the half clap and no uh no standing. But I, I I was dying to look to see uh, the faces of the House members when Trump was going on his rant against socialism. Clearly, they, some people have gotten under his skin. They showed your friend Bernie when uh, the cameras showed that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did not get shown because of uh, seniority. I think Bernie gets to, uh, you know, he gets the nod. Uh, over over her i i i was if there was a surprising moment it was i was surprised by how forceful he was about that that he would even bring it up like usually if you're a sort of uh you know the the enemy is too weak to even mention what their what their goal or or goal is and he I, i i think is saying that there's enough uh energy around the concept of not just socialism democratic socialism or curtailing capitalism that he had to say several things about it we will never be a socialist um country we will born free we will stay free um the idea that um freedom and and having a, a level playing field are mutually exclusive is kind of bizarre to me but okay um and bringing in uh Maduro and his socialist policies and it's just it was he went like he spent more time on that than on infrastructure and I think it's because it had a lot to do with the polling that he's seen recently um, you know where they're not we're talking about marginal tax rates and and um, where you could see that policies that Republicans fear the most are gaining a lot of traction as people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez like speak to them plainly which I think that if you look back at democratic policies um, where we where we start to talk about marginal tax rates and stuff like that, like we can we've talked about them before. This is not new stuff, but whether or not it was Hillary Clinton's inability to be able to speak plainly about them, where people yeah. understood or them, so passionately, or that so passionately people... about them, that people understood them, and you've yeah. seen um, uh, Representative Ocasio Cortez like talk about that. In a plain way that people actually care about and actually understand it. And people in a school are rock maybe way. open to it because they've let ultra capitalism or whatever you want to call this American strain of capitalism do its thing. Supposedly, we're like doing the best that's ever possible, lowest unemployment for everybody and wages are up, which they're pathetically up. Um, and, you know, if this is the the best time in America, and so many people are really just barely making it, uh, then they're going to be open to something new. Even if it's not socialism, This is the thing is that I see um, what the right tends to do is anything that sounds like a curtailing of capitalism is automatically dubbed socialism when it is absolutely not. And I uh, wish it wasn't the case, but we can just keep standing strong that socialism is not a dirty word or that... Um, or that fair policies or fair capitalism is 
something that we should strive for. I also think that that at the same time, you've got this this line of uh, 2020 Democratic candidates that are all saying the same thing. So if they're all talking about the Green New Deal, if they're all talking about Medicare for all or universal health care in some way that Republicans really don't want it to go that way and everybody is lining up behind it, because most Republican voters in flyover states particularly are interested in Medicare for all. Like, that's a given. How we talk about it um, is one thing to them to where they don't feel like they don't have a choice. So we have to be able to explain that piece of it to them. Um, and, and and so I think that that's another fear of Donald Trump as he goes into reelection. He's thinking about how these Democratic candidates are going to be talking about policies that everybody seems to be lining up against. And he's starting now, which he used this speech, to talk about socialism, to get it into the minds of his voters to say, we're not going to be doing that because these guys are all going to be talking about the exact same thing. And uh, in terms of uh, 2020 hopefuls, I think that uh, Kamala Harris uh, got into the chamber today expecting that uh, she was going to spend the entire speech mugging for the camera for uh, potential uh, campaign ads because uh, there were, you know, a couple of crowd shots for her where it was just the big, and for those listening, I don't know, you're not going to see this, but it's the big, really exaggerated, like, Mm-mm, just the really big head shake. And you're like, yeah, that's going to look really good in a campaign ad. This like Trump says this, you say that. And look, you always get a lot of that, but uh, and, and maybe that's why they picked her. But I thought, uh, I thought it was it was very uh, apparent a, a number of times, and uh, you know that. Uh, look, I think there was a lot of, um, as always, you know, it's a very uh, divided chamber. You have people who stand for things, and then people who just very clearly sit on their hands. But you. You know, it's uh, they, they. You always get the good shot uh, when when they they kind of pan and you see everybody who's sitting. That was down. my favorite. Looking at all the faces, really long faces, yeah. pissed faces, not having it faces. I, I, I guess I really love people watching, and State of the Union is great people watching. Yeah, and there were you know there were a few things where uh, a number of uh, uh, people seemed distraught by what he was talking about, especially when he was uh, speaking about uh about immigration uh and the when he started talking about foolish partisan investigations Ooh, yeah, i yeah. think uh yeah. even pelosi had to bite her lip a little bit um there uh you know i think that that in particular you know he he's obviously picking his spots of things it's like yeah come on we got to we we got a lot of work to do why are you going to look at any of that stuff uh and go ahead no, i was just i it, it, well, first of all, MSNBC, I don't know what the other networks were doing, but MSNBC had a great shot of Adam Schiff as soon, uh, while the president was talking about the investigations. But it's always very funny when Republicans talk about investigations um, and frivolous investigations at this point um, as they have uh, gone after President Clinton uh, for a, a, an issue that uh, they took way too long to investigate. Uh, and then Hillary Clinton and, and Benghazi and all the email and things like that are just that were that just came out with nothing. Uh, and and then their reports reflected that as they came out over the past few months. So um, I don't think that, I think the difference is, is that Republicans um, traditionally, when there have been investigations, have been caught red-handed. Um, and so that's what the pre- this president's probably uh, afraid of, is that his party is the party of, of 100% 
<laughs> investigative rate. <laughs> uh, yikes. Because we have so little time, let's actually talk about uh, the, the big chunk that dealt with the urgent national crisis, uh, the lawlessness at the southern border, which I believe he said is a threat to the safety, security, and financial well-being of my re-election. So uh, he spent a lot of time on that. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, a lot of facts that uh, when we're back at our normal time next Tuesday at, at four Pacific, seven Eastern, maybe we'll have all the fact checking uh, in order. I wrote down a bunch of things that I'm like, is that true? I, this is literally whatever I'm like, is that true? Because I don't. I don't keep up on those things. You know, the 4,000 killings or murders, uh, you know, lots of, of those things. But obviously, there's two key moments where he's really speaking to the base. Uh, and regardless of your own feelings on the issue, Chelsea, do you think that he connected with his base? Like, look, I, I'm still going to do everything I can to get this done like I promised you I would. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had his moment where he said, I will get it built. And I think, yeah. you know, the, the base probably really loved that. But even I was surprised when he was when his segue into this subject was and now for the national crisis like of our times. And for a moment, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to buck the NRA and talk about guns. <laughs> You, thought you didn't really think that. You could not I have mean, thought that. Okay, listen. Did you have like, a magic mushroom on your way over? Come on. It was like for like a quarter of okay. a split second. Quarter of a split second, I'll give you. Half a split second, like I would say no. That's what I thought. I mean, that's, you know, maybe the other quarter second was like on opioids. Um, you know, those you know, opioids are now killing more people than cars. And, you know, and it, it just um, there are other things that are actually like bigger national crises if we want to talk about the number of Americans' lives lives lost. And one of the really interesting things that he said when he was talking about immigration is that there have been countless Americans' lives lost. Uh, countless? I'm pretty sure we can count the number of murders if there or, is such a or thing. Or at the very least, you can, you can put an estimate on it. It's right. like more than... And the reason that he didn't put a number on it is because... It's actually very low, and the the highest number that I have heard came from, I believe it was Hannity, uh, was like 4,000, something like that. Mm. So, uh, you know, in the scheme of how many Americans are killed by, like, heart disease, car accidents, opioid, um, and gun-related uh, deaths, it is uh, slight. And that is not to diminish the, the pain, the anguish caused to anybody who is impacted by, you know, the—, the illegal act of somebody who should maybe sure. not be I here. Mean, but when we're t when when his job as he says is to protect America, well let's look at what is hurting Americans. And I but I Yeah, no, I mean it's, it's, me. it's not the it, you're you're saying it's not the the greatest threat fra facing us. Right. Uh Drexel, when you have moments, you know, obviously Every president will do this. You'll have the heartbreaking stories, and we, you know, heard, saw the family uh, whose uh, elderly parents were killed in Reno by uh, someone who was here illegally. Uh, again, speaking in terms of him connecting with the people that he cares about, his base, and maybe trying to get just a little bit of the undecided voters. Do you think that that's effective in in this setting? Like, do you think that uh, he maybe won some people over that? You know what? I think that southern border is actually pretty important. Sure. I, I mean, obviously, he brought up the angel moms. Um, yeah. The problem with bringing up the angel moms is that you 
he's brought it up several times before. So to use that same anecdote in the State of the Union without it's been the exact same thing. So he's not saying anything new. He's not saying it, it might tug on a few heartstrings, which is great. And obviously, like Chelsea said, you know, these these are families that we should um, be thinking about. Um, but at the same time, if the president kind of uh, took and talked about the angel moms, but then also talked about uh, the families of those um, killed in Charlottesville and other places across the country, it probably would have uh, helped him out a little bit more from from those undecided voters, because as a as an American, what we see, we never see the the things on the t- on, on, on the news about those families that are affected by illegal immigrants. However, we do see those families affected by gun violence and, and things across the country. And so Republicans don't do, do themselves a disservice when they pretend like those things didn't happen. And didn't Trump actually succeed in banning bump stocks finally in the end? Was that something? You know, that I, was don't actually I don't remember where that ended up. So long, I, I, even I, know. I feel like <laughs> it's it was a great question. Something that I, I think so, but I don't want to say with any authority. I mean, uh, but I think you're right. But he always would say, if we're, if he, he said, if we're not that we're we're close, but he didn't mention guns at all. Right. That no, was a noteworthy. Uh, uh, leaving out for me because we have under ten minutes. There's two things I want to make sure I talk about. One, uh, his claim that if he hadn't been elected president, we would be in a major war with North Korea. <laughs> I like that it wouldn't be a war with North Korea. It was a major war, a uh, country that I don't know is capable of waging a major war. Uh, I, interesting that he let us know that he'll be meeting with uh, Kim Jong-un in Vietnam. Hey, Donnie, it took you 50 years, but you're finally going to Vietnam. Good for you, pal. <laughs> Played. Thank you. Uh, yeah, this is really why I want to make sure I got the topic in because I liked my joke. No, uh, but legitimately, I mean, it is something he can point to. He's like, hey, I sat down with this guy. Whether you think he's somebody that you should sit down with, nobody else had talked to him. So it's a smart thing to highlight. But Drexel, I almost feel like I know the answer. If Hillary were president, we would be in a major war with him right now, right? I mean, I, I feel you like You know, the, Hillary the Hawk yeah. probably would not have taken us taken us into war with North Korea. I don't um, know. That sounds like fake news, but you can keep talking. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, I think that what we have... It's, it's very interesting to hear the president talk about North Korea because everything that the president has said over the past few months about North Korea has been the exact opposite of what we find out after the fact. So he could talk about, you know kind of nuclear, like a de-escalation of, of, of their nuclear weapon. Like, yeah, there hasn't been a nuclear attack in 15 months, but there wasn't before either, or a nuclear launch. Like, you know, so I think that there's been testing. Yeah. And maybe North Korea has just been like, you know, hey, we're just going to pull it off for a little bit. But it's not like they they haven't been ratcheting up their, their nuclear program. That has not stopped. We know that has not stopped. Not only do we know that has not stopped, the Secretary of State has talked about that piece of it. So when Trump goes out there and talks to his base with alternative facts, he doesn't help himself when eventually you're going to have people um, like a Kamala Harris or like a Cory Booker or like an Elizabeth Warren or like a Kirsten Gillibrand who are going to be bringing the fire in these debates and they're just going to be laying that out and he's not going to be able to catch up to the lies that he has said over the past three years. Uh, every person you said would put us in a major war with North Korea. I just want to go on the record. Go ahead, Chelsea. Oh, I was just going to say, I, because we don't, or I don't do this very often, I wanted to say on foreign policy something that I did agree with Please. the president on and that was his line that great nations do not fight endless wars. I don't believe that great nations get out of wars clumsily either. 
but the initial point I think is right. And, and, you know, obviously it's not difficult to do the math to think about how long we've been in the Middle East because that escalated after 9-11. And it's a long time for something that – what can you point to what was, was accomplished? I mean, you know, there, there are – there are things, but it's not like it's not like any you know great war from from the twentieth century. People may say that there were attacks prevented, but yeah, that's very sure. difficult to measure. But that's not it's not like you know liberating a people. Right. You know, seven thousand people have died, which is more than like twice nine eleven. Fifty two thousand wounded. Seven trillion spent. Holy moly. Um, and it's always it's always very interesting to hear Republicans talk about like Rand Paul and and who has voted consistently on on funding the Department of Defense um, against funding for the Department of Defense. So but it's also very interesting to hear Republicans clap for a line like that when they're the ones who continuously and Democrats, too, for the most part, continuously fund. In this case, seven hundred billion dollars over the past two years. Um, I, I mean, seven hundred billion dollars each year. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, Th- that's a lot of money um, for not wanting to be in an endless war. Yeah, because uh, it's like, what's the point of all of this funding when you could be funneling up seven hundred billion dollars into healthcare costs, fighting the opioid? Like you've like th- there's other priorities or infrastructure at this point, an area where Democrats would have uh. gladly. Right. One thing that I definitely want to make sure we talk about, because uh, it's it's obviously probably the biggest thing that's thrown in there for the base is the uh, conversation about uh, about abortion and about, uh, you know, pro-life issues, which, you know, a you can look at the polling, but a sizable number, uh, sizable percentage of the country that's important to. I don't know how much less than half. I don't know if it's right. Whatever it is, that's a lot of people. That is probably the single most important issue to them. And it seems already that that is – it's an area where Republicans, President Trump, will be able to make some ground because you have you know bills like the ones that he alluded to where the facts of it – don't really matter because when it's reported, it is like, yeah, you can abort a baby right when you're giving birth. You know, that's the way people are perceiving it. So that is really an issue. Uh, Drexel, I'll ask you first. Asking the man. No, I'm just kidding. Well, just, <laughs> I wanted to give you the most time, so I'm asking him first. All right. Chelsea, stand up. You're going to like this one. Wow. All right, Chelsea. Now I have to let you. What do you think? I, 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 I concede my time. You, he yields his time. Yield my what time. do you think Democrats can do, you know, with an issue that where, you know, obviously pro-choice is the platform and that's where they stand? Yeah. How do they handle this issue heading into 2020? So we start by agreeing with the president that a culture that cherishes innocent life is a valid goal. Okay. And uh, innocent life does not end in babyhood. We have innocent Americans, children, women, men, that um, the system is really not helping. So we should agree, but agree that innocent life is all uh, throughout our life. Sure. Second thing is, is if you are trying to um, take away health care from women and uh, birth control that can prevent abortions, then you are not really helping your cause. I read an article today that 
found conclusively that the number of women who uh, put in IUDs following the president's election was significant enough to where they can say that it was his election that caused women to uh, to go and get their IUDs, which— So you're welcome, fellas. Which, I mean, if th- that is a wall that I am for. <laughs> the IUD wall? Yes. Along your southern border? <laughs> sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. I don't— Look, That is really well done. a long day. Okay. So, um, so where, where, where we might be able to agree is hopefully on the prevention for the need of abortion. We try and minimize the numbers. I think that we can right. agree I on that, that. But you're not going to get Democrats to, to be a no. no but your centrist ne- Democrats, Drexel, are able to walk the line of like, you know, I, I support the choice. I would hope that there are, you know, not so many of them. You know, I know it's a difficult choice, especially male Democrats usually go like, what am I going to say? Uh, so what what's the fine line to walk where, you know, this doesn't become the issue that you just, you know, get devastated by right. and by you? I mean, Democrats. Democrats. I, I mean, in, Which yeah. I brought up. sure. Um, exactly. I mean, you know, as you said, what am I going to say? But um, I, I do think that as we talked about what AOC has done in terms of explaining tax rates, I think you Tax t- t- marginal tax rate is very complicated, yeah. and the abortion issue is not that complicated. It can be explained as long as people understand where you're coming from. Like we saw in Virginia last week, where Governor Northam um, and, and one of the delegates from Virginia got wrapped up in this in this crazy situation where they were talking about a bill that that's going to the floor yeah. that does talk about where a doctor and a mother can make that decision. Now. That's a conversation to be had um, in terms of the doctor and the mother, but it should not be legislated that way. And I think that Democrats have to be able to explain, well, at what point do you want the government to step in? At what point do you not want the government to step in? Right, because when you have a bill like that, it's very easy for Republicans to say, see, this is what they they want. And this is what they want. That's exactly what they did the entire week last week. And I think that your Democrats are going to have to roll out the guns and all like this. I am 100 percent sure. Let me rephrase it. I am 95 percent sure <laughs> that the Democrats, the next nominee for the Democratic nominee will be a woman. So I think that we're going to have to they're going to have to all the Democratic nominees are going to have to roll out um, some very simple terms like where they stand on abortion and, and how best that Democrats will lead on that issue. And I think that's something that they're going to have to do. And they're going to have to use the the new class, Katie Hill, um, you know, and, and AOC and all those women to talk about that issue for them as well. Right. Uh, obviously, uh, Governor Northam spent a lot of time last week on that. I think he's spending his time on some other things this week. Uh, Stacey Abrams' response like, apparently was fired still going on I, right Yeah, now. I'm looking oh, forward man. to talking about that next week. Uh, we would have liked to have been able to cover that tonight, but uh, we would have liked to have given you more time. But we appreciate everybody here at AfterBuzz who gave us the time. So uh, make sure that you uh, tune in next Tuesday at 4 Pacific, and we will talk more about this. And God only knows what will happen the uh, rest of the week. Drexel, uh, thank you, as always, for joining us. At Drexel Hurd on Twitter. Uh, Don't be a stranger. Come back whenever the schedule allows. And Chelsea Galicia, thank you. People can find you at Chelsea Galicia. Yes, they can. And they can find you here next Tuesday. Absolutely. Where you can find me, and you can also find me at Kristen DMZ. DMZ, And the show is at Trump Report ABTV. Thanks so much, everyone, and we will see you next Tuesday. Bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menounos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup.
Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.